God's Word, verse 6, Malachi chapter 1. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of the Lord, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or is sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and of peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear that he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, 
inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father in heaven, these are sober words given from the prophet Malachi to us, your people today. And we know that there is a spirit within us that would want to say that these words are, well, these are spoken to other people. They're not spoken to us. Lord, we would pray that you would cause us to have ears that would be able to hear how we need to hear these words from you today. And that, Lord, as we maybe have our own sins revealed in the midst of your presence today, that we might be humbled and sobered by what you have spoken to us, that we might at the same time not despair. For we have one who is in heaven today who intercedes on our behalf, the one who is the perfect offering, the one who is the great high priest, the one who is the true temple of the living God, even the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes today by the power of the Spirit to speak to the hearts of your people. Would you, O Lord Christ, send that Spirit today to dwell among us, that this Word might be illumined and that we might be changed? Come, pour out that Spirit upon us now as we attend to this, your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We said at the beginning of the service today that this text really teaches us about what it means to honor the Lord. We want to focus on that theme of honor today, recognizing that the word honor and the concept of honor is not something that we talk about very much. In fact, when we speak of honoring someone, we speak of showing honor to someone, some of us kind of well, it, it sounds downright medieval to some of us in this room, like it, maybe that's appropriate for the knights at the round table, you know, all of the honor of the olden days. But, but that's really outmoded for a moderns like our, ourselves, people who, who prize equality and, 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 and talk about uh, the, the sense that there's no real difference between uh, any of us. And yet the Bible employs this word of honor over and over again. It, it talks even more about the idea of honor as being critical to what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live faithfully before the Lord. There are certain institutions we're called by the Scripture to honor, like, like marriage, for instance. It's an institution that we are uh, to honor, which is why we must, as the body of Christ, uphold a biblical definition of marriage, as we have discussed as a congregation on, on multiple uh, different contexts, because the institution of marriage is to be honored by God's people and among men. There are certain actions that are to be honored, actions of, of justice, when the weak and the, the vulnerable are protected. When a biblical sexual ethic is upheld, these are things that are to be honored, to be held sacred. But more times than not, when the Bible speaks of honor, you know, it usually speaks relationally. It usually speaks of, of one relationship to another. 
For instance, children are called to honor their parents in commandment number five in Exodus chapter 20. Citizens are called to honor their, their rulers, as spoken of in 1 Peter and Romans chapter 13. Christians are to honor elders and, and church leaders, according to Paul's own writings to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5. But interestingly, Peter goes out of his way in 1 Peter chapter 2 to give the farthest reaches of honor. He says that we are, quite simply, with two words, we are to honor everyone. We are to honor everyone. And Paul thinks it's so important that we honor everyone that he puts it in the language of, well, almost in the language of competition, or at least it sounds like a competition. In Romans 12, he says that we ought to try to outdo one another in showing honor to everyone. Now, the reason, of course, we are to honor everyone is not because everyone is, well, acting so honorably. Clearly, that is not the case. But because everyone, regardless of who it is that they are, are made in the image of God. Every person is made in the image of God. We are reflective of the divine being in whom we have been fashioned and in whom likeness we have been made, whether it's your best friend or it's your arch enemy, every person is made in the image of God and is thus valuable, is thus worthy of, of dignity and of, of respect. Honor everyone. Now, it goes without saying, but, well, we must say it, of course. And if we are to honor those who are made in the image of God, then we should, chief of all, honor God himself. And in fact, when the Bible speaks of honoring, though it speaks of it in institutions, it sometimes speaks of it in actions, it very often speaks of it in, in persons, it most regularly speaks of it in terms of God himself. All over the scriptures we see we are to honor and to glorify the Lord. We are to praise Him. We are to acknowledge Him and respect Him. We are to give Him that which He is due. And yet, isn't it shocking that we who have been made in the image of God, we who have been called to honor God, we very rarely honor Him as we ought. In fact, when we look at the world, we hardly see God honored at all, do we? And why is this the case? Well, the scripture tells us. Romans 1 makes it uh, very clear why this is the case. Listen to Paul's writings here. For his invisible attributes, that's God. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature are clearly perceived. You can see them in the things which he has made. And so we are without excuse. But although they knew God, notice what he said, they did not honor him. Though he's clearly perceived, though we see him, don't you see him in this beautiful fall weather? Don't you see him in this, in this marvelous coolness of temperatures and the blue sky, the wispy clouds, these glorious fall sunrises? Aren't they just the best? The fall sunrises. We see God in the things of which he is made, but we do not honor him as God. We do not give thanks to him, he says. Instead, our foolish hearts are darkened. 
And we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images, for idols, resembling mortal man. Now, what's remarkable is though we see that this happened at the beginning of time in the fall, where we served the creature rather than the creator, that disease has been passed down to every one of us. That's why when we look out at the world, we don't see the world honoring God as it is called to. But it's particularly grievous to the Lord when it's not just out in the world that we see that. It's when we see the lack of the honor of God within the church itself. When we see the lack of the honor of God within God's own people, those who, quote-unquote, should know better. You know, that really is the cry of God's heart here in this text, isn't it? Do you see that there in verse 6? If I am a father, where is my honor? That's the question of this text. If I am a master, where is my fear? The Lord is looking not out there at the world. What's he, who's he talking to here? He's talking to the people of Israel. He's talking, as it were, to the church. He's talking to the people who claim to be, claim to be followers of him, who recognize his lordship and his glory. And instead of the honor, we see that even among his people, especially here, which are named both in 1-6 and at the beginning of chapter 2, the priests, even the preachers, are not honoring the Lord as the all, but instead, verse 6, they despise his name. They despise his name. You know, when we honor someone, we lift them up. We lift them up. We, we recognize their value. We recognize their worth. And we, we want them to be recognized. And despising is the exact opposite of that. When you despise someone, you look down on them. You treat, them, you, you treat them poorly. You do not see them as, as valuable. And that's what's happening here. God has become small in the minds and the hearts of the people of Israel. God has become small. And God is asking at the beginning of this text, where is my honor? Where is my honor among my people? Now, I want us to ask the question based upon that question of Malachi 1 and 2, I want to ask us as a congregation and us as people of God in the 21st century as we serve in the generation which the Lord has, has put us, how do we know if the honor of the Lord is missing in our life and missing in our community? How do we know if the honor of the Lord is missing in our lives and missing in our community. I believe that's the question that this text is, is thrusting upon us as his people today. How do we know if we're honoring the Lord? How do we know if it's missing among us? I want to look at four things with you from this text that I think answer that specific question. That help us, in a sense, do a diagnostic here this morning. Are we a people who are honoring the Lord, or is honor missing in our lives and in our communities. And I want you to see this number one. How do we know if the honor of the Lord is missing in our life and, and community? Number one, we devalue the worship of the Lord. If we devalue the worship of the Lord, we know that the honor of the Lord is missing in our lives and in our community. 
One of the first and primary ways we witness the despising of the name of the Lord is through the devaluing of worship. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because worship, at its very core, assumes the honor of the Lord. It assumes the honor of the Lord. In fact, the English word for worship actually comes from the word worthy. You see, you worship when you see something that is worthy, when you see something that is is valuable. In fact, the Puritans would regularly say, are you going not to worship, but are you going to worship today? Are you, are you going to acknowledge the worthiness of God today? You might be going to worship, but are you going to worship today? Are you going to see the worthiness of the Lord? Are you going to give him his due? You know, it's not, it's not hard yesterday when Christy and I were taking a, a walk around nine o'clock. It was so beautiful out and, and everybody was out yesterday. The weather was so nice and we walked by one of our neighbors and they were, you know, had some kids playing in the yard and the, the, the mother and, and wife there was sitting on the front porch. You know, and she was so excited because she was getting to wear a sweatshirt, right? And it just, you know, just putting that sweater, that sweatshirt on for the first time for the fall is just, it's one of those sweet pleasures of, of life. And, and there we were talking about the weather. And you know what we were doing? We were praising it. We were rejoicing in it. It was worthy to be acknowledged and to be remembered and to be considered and recounted among the people. It's like everybody we talked to wanted to talk about the weather. We were at the baseball field yesterday. What a beautiful day for baseball. Right? And we were talking about how marvelous it is that we're out here in the weather yesterday. How much more marvelous is the creator of the weather? That's what this text is saying. How easy it is for us to look at the things of the world and offer, as it were, praises to their worthiness and forget the creator of the world. That's the problem here in Malachi, you see is that we have turned to worship the creature rather than the creator. So many people are going to enjoy the gifts of the creator today and not care about the creator at all. That's the issue here. That worship has moved from the creator to the creature. It's been focused upon us and not upon him. When the returning exiles had come home from Babylon, it was clear that worship was on their mind. Above all the construction projects that the people of Israel could have given themselves to when they landed back in the land, as Ezra and Nehemiah recount to us, the first thing that they put their hands to is rebuilding the temple. Rebuilding the temple. Above everything else, what did they want to see reinstituted? They wanted to see priests. They wanted to see an altar. Why did they want to see those things? Because they wanted to worship the Lord. They wanted to worship the Lord. And now what has happened? The very things of which they were honoring at the beginning of their time in the return of the land are the very things of which they are devaluing. They're now despised and denigrated. This remnant beleaguered and, and broken that had come back with such expectation and hope of worship have now fallen into the reality of idolatry. Do you know one of the ways that we can measure whether or not that we are truly honoring the Lord is how do we honor the Lord's day? Is worship something really that we prize? Is it a value to us? Or is it relegated to the margins of our life? Is it pushed down the priority list? Does it get, does it get higher billing in our own minds and hearts? Hi, higher, higher billing than sports? 
Higher billing than vacations. Does it, get, does it get higher billing than the things that we love in this life? Or does everything else really take precedent over the Lord's Day and His worship? Do we, do we look to the things of the world more than we look to the things of God? That's an evidence, isn't it, if we're doing that, that we're devaluing worship. Worship is the primary, first, and eternal calling of the Christian, isn't it? We see that one of the ways in which we show that we're despising the name of the Lord and not honoring the Lord is that we're is that we're not valuing his worship. But, but there's a second thing that we see here in the text that teaches us about what not honoring the Lord would look like if it's missing from our lives or community. And number two is that we're d- dismissive of the Lord's commands. We're devaluing of the Lord's worship, but we're dismissive of the Lord's commands. Again, this makes total sense, isn't it? If you're not honoring the Lord, you're not going to worship the Lord. You don't see Him as worthy. And if you don't see Him as worthy, you're not going to listen to Him. You're not going to listen to His commands. Notice, He says here, if I'm your father, where is the fear? If I am your your master, where is, or if I'm your father, why is there no honor? If I am your master, why is there no fear? There's no respect. In chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, we are told about this covenant that's made with Levi, that the priests are supposed to be about. It's described in this way. There are to be those who guard the knowledge of God. They guard the knowledge of God. They preach instruction to God's people. They're people who live circumspect and righteous lives. They're an example before God's people. They protect the flock and turn them away from iniquity. And how? why do they do all this? Why would the priests give themselves to this work? Because we're told there in verse 7 that he feared me and stood in awe of me, speaking of Levi. He honored me. Notice what, what's happened here, though, among the people of Israelites is that the religious leaders, the priests themselves, have been dismissive of the commands of, of God. They have turned away, and now they're leading others actually into sin. Notice how they're doing it. Verses 7 and 8 in chapter 1, they're offering polluted food upon the altar, offering blind, lame, and sick animals. Now, you probably know that this is in direct violation to the commands of God in Leviticus chapter 22. What was supposed to be offered on the altar? Well, unblemished animals. Uh, Perfect animals, so to speak. Spotless animals. Animals that were reflective of what was needed for the covering of sin. And what's what's being offered? Well, the, the worst of the flock. The polluted ones, right? Though the ones full of blemishes, the ones who are lame and blind and, and, and sick. And do you see the, pe- the, the spirit of the people is same as the spirit of the priest. What were the priests supposed to be doing? Well, when these animals were brought by the people, the priests should have rejected them. But what did the priests do? Well, they received them and they sacrificed them. So, so, so what's happening here to the people of God? Well, the people of God are following the leadership of the priests of God. And the priests of God are allowing any and everything to come to the altar of God. And in a sense, so goes the priest, so goes the people. And notice they're all dismissive of what it is that God's actually commanded. 
Instead of saying, what is it that God's, God demands? What is his due? They instead say, oh, God will just have to make do with what I bring. He'll just have to make do with what I bring. Many churches today, and, and to be quite honest, many ministers today, let a certain question drive the decisions of their church's ministry. Certain question drive the decisions of their church's worship. And, and, and here's the question. The question is this. What do the people want? What do the people want? How will we get people to come? How will we get people to come? Driving, driving the decisions we make in worship, the decisions we make in, in ministry. What do the people want? How will we, how will we get the people to come? Let's not make waves. Let's not say anything that would be un, unsatisfying to the people, that would be upsetting in any way to, to the, to the people. Haven't we seen even this week, if you've been reading the news, very popular, broadly evangelical, so to speak, ministers completely abandoning the truth of the scriptures regarding a biblical sexual ethic? You wouldn't have to search long on the internet to find where that news came out of. And the spirit of the age, right? What do the people want? What, what's the, you know, here, what's the culture telling me? What's the culture telling me? Rather than asking the question, what does God demand? What does God demand? Let me ask you, is the primary focus of the church's ministry people or God? You know the answer to that, don't you? It's God. It's God. That's the primary focus of our ministry. That's the primary focus of our worship today. Now, when we were studying Ephesians, we found out, right, that people are also in view in the midst of worship. When we sing, we're helping and assisting each other in worship. We're blessing one another. We're instructing one another as we pray and as all of the, all that's happening. There is a, a horizontal impact of edification that happens among the body of Christ in the midst of worship. But that's not the focal point. That's the byproduct. That's the byproduct. You know, our forebears knew this very well in the Reformed and Presbyterian history. They said that worship should be regulated by the Word of God. Worship should be regulated by the Word of God. In other words, it's not what we dream up. It's not what we create. God didn't say to you, I, you know, listen, I, I've given you a blank slate. I want you just to be wildly creative about what you think is best for me. No, He gave you His Word. He's calling on us what it means to honor Him with regards to worship. When we become dismissive of God's commands, it's likely, likely on the heels that we've become devaluing of worship because we are really, at the end of the day, despising His name. And, and where do we see this leads? Well, thirdly, we see it leads here, that we're drained of the joy of the Lord. We're drained of the joy of the Lord. It's shocking when you look at this passage, there was so much zeal when the people of God had come back and King Cyrus of Persia had given the edict that the people of Israel could now go back to the promised land. And there was so much zeal. Yes, it was a small remnant. Not everybody came back all at once. It was a small remnant, but they were strong in faith. They were strong in, in spirit. They set their hands to the building of the temple. They restored the sacrifices, reinstated the priesthood. 
And now notice their spirit, verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snored at it, says the Lord of hosts. Now it's not hard to imagine their spirit, is it? Is it time for sacrifices again? I mean, like, didn't we just do this? Right? Did some of you this morning wake up? It's like, didn't we just go to church? I mean, like, wasn't it like a week ago we were there? And, um, we really have to go back again today and hear, 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 hear that preacher again and like have to pray and, and sing these songs and, and, and who knows? Like, you know, who knows what we're going to miss on TV? Right, these are the things that often run through our heads, don't we? If we, well, there's often that that sense of where we're wearied in the presence of the worship of God. Listen, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. We're human beings, but when that happens, know this: that the problem is not with worship. The problem is with you. The problem is with me. We have lost the sense of the wonder and the glory of God. And thus we are in our own minds devaluing worship. We're dismissive of his commands. And you know, we're wearied in the midst of this. We're drained of the joy of the Lord. You see, the question is not that we, will we ever be wearied of worship? Indeed, we will. We will indeed, and it's shame to say, we will become bored. Bored with the things of God, bored with God even. But when that happens, do we see it as an urgent problem that needs to be addressed? Or or do we just begin to just back away from it, go find something else that catches our fancy? Do we just plod on in a lifeless formalism, checking the, the boxes of worship, not caring about where our soul is in relationship with the Lord? Is the testimony one that we honor God with our lips, but our heart is far from us? Far from far from Him? You see, what happens when we live in this state is that actually the kind of judgment of the Lord begins to fall. That's what this text teaches us. You see, how do we know if the honor of the Lord is missing in our lives, in our community, we devalue worship. We're dismissive of the commands of the Lord. We're drained of the joy of the Lord. But you know what begins to happen? We be, we're handed over to the despising of the Lord. God returns the favor in this text. Did you notice the opening of our text started with the honor and the despising of the name of the Lord? But it actually ends that way too. Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased of all the people. Should we really expect something different? I mean, the Lord had asked back in chapter 1, verse 8, hadn't he? Do you think the gifts that you are offering to me would be received well by your governor? No, can you imagine, you know, so let's just, let's just put it in, in real brass tax terms, you know, you're, you're, you've just had a you've just had a baby. You've just lost a, a, a loved one, and the Cornerstone Meals team is bringing you you a meal. And and as they show up on at, at your door, they they bring you rotten chicken and the blemished tomatoes and 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 soured lettuce. 
What do you take from that? What's the message? Honor? Honor? He says, do you expect you're going to bring, you're going to bring these things and then you're going to say, oh, give us grace. Show us your favor. I did my sacrifices. That's the spirit, you see. He says, you've despised me. And, and notice the way that he, he puts it here. I will send a curse upon you. And I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Hmm. I think we think that we can just get away with it. You know, is God really there? I mean, is he really looking? Is he really looking? It's really a question of faith, isn't it? It, I guess one of the things that we see here in this text is the fear of the judgment of the Lord actually comes when this becomes the pattern of our lives and of our communities. And you catch, don't you, a sense of this, well, even this almost holy exasperation from the Lord. Notice verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you that would just shut the doors of the temple. Oh, if there were one among you that would not just put out the fire of the altar, it'd be better if you just didn't come than to come the way you come. Right? The person who brought you that meal, it would have been better not to have gotten it than to have gotten it. That's what the Lord's Spirit hears. Oh, if there was one among you like that. And then, very ironically in this text, look at verse 11. Very ironically as he says that. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name as a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read those two verses, I don't understand why they're related to each other. You know, let's shut down the temple. Let, let's, let, let's shut it, snuff out the fire. Let's all of you go home, for my name will be praised among the nations. Well, you seem like you're doing all of the stuff that would keep your name from being praised among the nations by closing the temple and putting out, out the fire. But did you, you notice actually there's a hint in this text. There's a hint there in verse 10 of something that is to come. You see, this has been a downer of a sermon. Do you feel it? It's a downer of a sermon. Like, right? I mean, devaluing of worship. Don't you catch that in your heart? I do. As a minister here, I catch that in my heart. Dismissive of the commands of God. When you look over your life, how often are you dismissive of the commands of God? So often. And how often do you find yourself drained of the joy of the Lord? You are, you are much more excited about the fall than you are about God. You're much more excited about thinking about Thanksgiving dinner than you are about God. You're much more easy to, to praise your sports team than you are to God. Don't you find this to be true? Should, isn't the question of this text, who will worship me as I've demanded? Who will worship me as I've demanded? And the answer of this text is no one will. No one will. You're meant to despair of the reality that this people or any people could worship the Lord as he demands. And so verse 10 actually gives us a hint 
Verse 10 actually gives us a hint in this text. It's a hint that we would not have expected. Oh, that there would be one among you who would shut the doors of the temple. Notice we're looking for one. He's looking for one who will shut the doors of the temple. He's looking for one who will not kindle a fire that is vain. The offerings that are vain. He's looking for one in this text that once the temple is shut, what's going to happen? The honor of the Lord is going to be spread among all the nations. Do you catch it? One is going to come and shut down the temple. And when that one comes to shut down the temple, his honor, the glory is going to go throughout all of the nations. That's what's going to happen. You see, there's a hint in this text about the one who is coming, about the Lord Jesus Christ who is coming. The Lord Jesus Christ who is coming, who is a perfect offering for us as people. No, no blindness, no lameness, no sickness in Him. The Lamb of God, spotless, who has come to take away the sin of the world. Jesus who has come, the perfect offering, the one who will shut down the temple. The, the one who will snuff out the fire because He will get on that altar. He will be burned by the wrath of God. He will be the perfect offering which will send incense up to heaven which will be a sweet aroma to the Father on the behalf of faithless worshipers. He will be the one who will pay for their faithless worshiping. Because He is a perfect priest. These priests didn't guard the knowledge of God. These priests didn't speak to the instruction of God. They led the people of God into the waywardness of sin. But Jesus, well, Jesus is the high priest. He's the high priest who right now stands at the right hand of the Father who intercedes for you and for me. He's the perfect offering. He is the, he is the perfect priest. He is the perfect temple, isn't he? Do you remember how the Lord Jesus Christ told to his disciples that this temple is going to be torn down and in three days it's going to be it's going to be raised up again. And they looked at him and they were like, you're crazy. Do you know how long this thing took to build? And then later we learn he wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about his body being sacrificed and resurrected on the third day. Is there one who will shut down the temple? Is there one who will take away vain offerings from me? Who will extend incense of worship and praise throughout all of the nations? Is there one among you? And the answer in the day of Malachi was there was not one, but a few pages after the end of the Old Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. You see the one, don't you? The one who is coming. The one who is coming to save his people as the perfect offering, as the perfect priest, as the fullness and the completion of the temple. The one who will save us. Do you know how he'll save us? It's shocking. By taking on what we deserved, the despising of the Lord in this text. See, he said he will despise us. He will curse us. And today, friends, if you've been welcomed here in the presence of the Lord and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, He's not cursed you. He's not despised you. You know what instead He did? He despised His own Son by sending Him to the cross on your behalf. The only one who should not have been despised, the one that should have been honored, took on your despising. 
The one who should have been lifted up with praises and with blessing received your curses. That's what he's saying to us here. In the most ironic way imaginable, the one who is that actually received what you and I should have received so that we can receive holy acceptance in the presence of the Lord together today. Do you see, how is it that half-hearted people of worship like you and me can be welcomed into the presence of the Lord? Because we have a perfect offering, a perfect priest, a perfect temple who took our curse and despising on our behalf. You see, Friends, that's the good news of Malachi 1 and 2. That's the good news of Malachi 1 and 2. He knows that you won't get your perfect worship act together. And so he sent one who would. And on your behalf, all of his riches have been charged to your account. Now let me ask you. If Jesus has done that for you, how should you worship him? How should you worship him? With diseased offerings? You know, I'll go to church if the Titans aren't playing or, you know, don't have something better to do on the weekend. I'll maybe serve in the church if it's within the, you know, if it doesn't cost me too much. Are these the things you do in your mind? These are the things that I struggle with. What's the least common denominator? How should we worship the Lord? How should we serve the Lord? One who has served us like this. We should serve Him as a living sacrifice. We should crawl up on the altar, as it were, and give the whole of our lives for the one who has given the whole of His life for us, which is our spiritual service of worship, you see. That's the spirit of the Christian. That's the work of which we've been called to here. This is how we worship the Lord. You see, when you are renewed in the love of God, you will begin to be renewed in the honor of God. If you're catching dishonor of the Lord or despising of the Lord, if you're catching devaluation of the worship of the Lord, if you're catching dismissiveness to the commandments of the Lord, if you're drained of the joy of the Lord, you know what's happened? You don't see the love of the Lord. You don't see the wonder of the love of the Lord. You're dull to it. You're deaf to it. You're blind to it. And you say to him, do I have to really give him the best of my flock? You know, this one's old and lame and blind. Surely that's enough. That's not the spirit of one who's been overwhelmed by the love of God, you see. I love that old James Montgomery voice quote. That the grace of God and the love of God is a free gift. That if you understand it, it will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. What does he mean by that? It's a free gift to you. Totally free. No strings attached. And if you receive this gift, it'll so change your life that you'll give everything for it. It'll cost you everything. And you will gladly give it for the treasure of who Christ is. Oh, to worship Him like that. Oh, to live for Him like that. Father in heaven, would you indeed do that kind of work in us today? Renew that kind of worship in us. Renew that kind of life in us. Forgive us for the ways in which we have not honored you and have despised you. For the ways in which we have been dismissive of your word 
and have reaped the fruit of a life drained of joy and enlighten us and refresh us today by the fact that Jesus has received what we should have received. He received the despising that we should have received on the cross and has become for us everything that we need. Lord, change us in such a degree that we can't help but worship you with holy, loving abandon, having seen the riches of your glorious grace. Lord, you know the measure to which this message is needed here to us as a body. Do not stop short until the fullness of this truth is driven home to our hearts. Come and meet with us in that way, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.